Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, middle of the afternoon, and I want to do the Parsha. This is Parsha's Chai Sara, which is being sponsored by Lionel Shachna um, from Australia. And uh, as he said, this is in, in Zecher Nishmas's father's yard site, which is tomorrow. Today, at least in Baltimore, I mean, maybe over there it's already 22 Cheshvan, but here it's 21 Cheshvan. Uh, and as he said, this is the guy I told you about. It went from ended up in Cuba. Remember, we we're from Jews in Cuba for a, a short time, uh, and now there aren't. And eventually, New York and then Australia. So uh, anyway, it's uh, let, let's put it this way: the Nisham Shavonlia, and I'm very uh, proud to have him as a sponsor. Uh, yeah, Pashas Chayisar, which is full of zingers, <coughs> and <coughs> it's very interesting because <coughs> excuse me, I have. Among other things, the uh, what do you call it? The English Mikroskedolos uh, from the JPS. A number of years ago, which I think is now out of business, Jewish Publication Society, which used to publish books that are really pretty irrelevant to uh, a serious uh, uh, to, to, from Jews. Let's put it that way. Uh, went out of business for that reason, uh, and that used to do for conservative reform also a lot. And one of the things they did, which was a good thing in their later years, was, you know, a little bit like 50, 60 years too late, is they put something out which I consider very useful for people, and that is a Mikras Gedolos all in English, no Hebrew. You just have the text of the Chumash, and they organize in a very unusual way, but it's all in English. I'm looking at it in front of me with uh, Rashi, Rajbam, Ibn Ezra, and Ramban, that kind of thing. But at the bottom, so now you don't need if you have regular Mikras Gedolos, but the bottom, and the bottom, they have a, a potpourri, a selection from other Mepharshim, but uh, by and large, the Pashtunim, the rationalists um, of the Middle Ages. So, you know, you got your, uh, but they do have the Rajbam, actually, on the top. But, you know, the Barbanel, and the, maybe the Akeda, and the, the Chizkuni, and the Panech Raza, you know, those types. More the Pashtunim, Khorshar. And they have like a little a little uh, one or two liners, which are actually uh, very good. To, my, to me, myself, and I, that's the best part of it. And all you have to do, all I have to do for today's podcast is just uh, look through the poopery at the bottom of Chaisara. Um, and uh, of course, I have the Hebrew also. And you see some very interesting, very striking, to my mind, uh, zingers on this parsha, for example, and some of them come from the Chizkuni. Not many people know the Chizkuni was. He lived in the second half of the twelve hundreds, so in other words, he's one of the later Balitosis. Now I didn't say he's a Balitosis, but he lived at the time of Balitosis, and he lived in France. But obviously, if Cheski ben Menoch, so if um, if he wrote on a Chumash, he was like a Tanakh type guy. You know what I mean? That that's who he was. 
and he collected. Anyway, he has, um, the Chizkun is always very interesting in that regard. What I mean, he's from the Rishon times. And, uh, and the Chizkun, when he says, you know, that famous business. So, um, he says over here, some, something very uh, striking. I'll read it in English, then I'll read it in Hebrew. Uh, and that is, Shnei Chai is literally the years of Sarah. For those like Gematria, the numerical value Vayu, notice Vayu Chai Vav Yud Hey Yud Vav. Vayu is 37, right? Is that right? In other words, two Vavs is 12, and two Yuds is, um, is uh, what do you call it? Is uh, a 20, that's 32, and Hey is 5, 37. Um, what's Pshat 37? That's how old Yitzhak was at the time that Kedis Yitzhak, when she died. So notice, Vayiyu is Chai the, the years that Sarah really lived was Vayiyu, was 37 years. Now what's the Pshat? Here he says something which is very sobering. Uh, and that is, he basically it's like this. Until then, when she didn't have any kids, she didn't feel like she was alive. She was alive. And, and, and that's a tragic. So Sarah lived a long time but she only really lived this part. Um, now, she had a miracle. Some people don't have a miracle. It's a, it's a tough, you see? Harotzim limnos kematrias omrim kaminyan vayu hayichai sarah shloshim b'sheva shonim shemiyom shenolid yitzog adyom ha-kedah shemesah because she died at the time of the kedah. Avotishim shona shahayat konim l'kein enichashim chayim shemishen l'banu chashuv kames. So that's a harsh statement, but you can hear what he means by Yuchaisar. In other words, I would emphasize the positive, not the negative side of this, which is she has a tremendous transformation. Some people, life begins at 60, so to speak, or 70 or something like that. That's just an interesting phenomenon in history. It's going to be funny what comes to my mind, but uh, Harry S. Truman was a nobody until he hit 60. Then all of a sudden became a world figure, goes down to history. Uh, you know, until then he was a garnish with a garnish. And uh, next thing you know, he's dropping day, Bob. So, so you don't know how life has it organized for people. To punish them has different plans for different people. Some people, the icker years of their life in their 20s. Oh, let me put it this way. I know people, and so do you, that the icker years of their life was in high school. They were momish something in high school. But you want to know something after high school? They weren't something anymore. <laughs> they wanted to have a pedestrian life, each one in his and her own way, and so forth. But the years that you know they can't recapture, for, in later life, when for whatever reason they were mamish, you know, epis, and the center of everything when they were in high school. Maybe it's because they were good in sports. Maybe it's because they're good at this. I mean, it could be a hundred reasons. And there are other people, of course, that the main years are when they're in their twenties, but then not, or in their thirties, and then not, and so forth. So that to me is the real uh, interesting insight. Sarah, the Chizkuni says, and by the way, I just want you to know, the Chizkuni, if you look at the Atoma, it's mainly a, a Likud. He lived, as they say, in the second half of the 1200s. Uh, by that time, by the way, Gemaras were rare in France. It's not all his fault. You know, the, the, the church burned all the Gemaras in 1244. All the big rabbis ran away from France in 1259 when he was nine years old. So it's a complicated story. Um, but... He says he went looking for different Pirushim and he collected them in the Chizkuni, so it might not be his insight, but it doesn't matter. Uh, he's saying Sora, it was the last, last decades of her life. That's, that's just an interesting insight because she was rich, but not rich in the way that she wanted to be. Okay? 
Now, in addition to that, the Chizkuni, he's a very interesting commentator. Chizkuni um, speculates, to my mind, in a very interesting way, about who Sarah was, because as we all know, Rashi quotes a Medrash, uh, which says, um, Rashi says, I know you know this. This is very famous. This we learn in the third grade. That's in the Medish Rabbah. So again, when she was a hundred, she was as sinless as somebody's 20 years old. I don't know if that makes any sense. I know plenty of people who are 20 years old who have committed sins, but okay. Um... Alright, I mean, if you want to... That's actually not so complimentary, because that implies that Sarah did things, but she wasn't a Basonchen then. And there's a long Sipsicham, but I won't get into that. And Ma Bas Esim I'm sorry, Af Bas Melo, Bas Esim to Ashevel Yofi. And she was 20 years old, she was like a 7 year old in terms of pretty. Which is weird, because nowadays you see the other way around. Let's say you saw some girl who was seven years old and looked, I don't know, what, like a movie star. You said, boy, she looks like she's seven going on, 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 on 20. That's how you talk, right? You know, she, she, she looks older than she actually is. So the Chizkuni actually kind of flips it. It's very interesting. And again, I will, uh, uh, what do you call it, do the English and then do the Hebrew. And that is, uh, she was a beautiful 20 as a seven-year-old because like, like a seven-year-old, so, he, 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 so the has a different girsa. I mean, he knows Rashi, of course, and he lived not long after Rashi. But he also has other girsas because Rashi's uh, copying from a, one girsa in the Medrash Rabban, and, and there are others out there. That's what I wanted to share with you in Chazal, okay? Uh, and what he says is, so he says, um, when she was 20, it was before the Torah was given, so there were no onishes given out there. Well, that's not a good shot either, because that means that she could have done sins, but she just took advantage of the statue, of, of the fact that there was a, you know, uh, a time of Hefkeris or something like that, right? Here it is. But old Pirish Rashi, Bas Esrim, Kibashebel Yofi, Hoisi Yofa, Blo Kachavlo, Sargwa Pirchus. Uh, so he's saying like this. That makes more sense. You hear what I said? When she was, when she was twenty, she was like uh, a seven. Is that how Rashi puts it? Yeah. Meaning no makeup. That's the interesting part. A seven-year-old girl doesn't wear makeup. That's sick. But twenty-year-old girl makes, wears makeup, and she obviously does it for for you know to enhance her looks. Sarah never did that. So Sarah went around and she was beautiful. She she wasn't into makeup, uh, which which is uh, you know interesting, right? Shabbosizman derch noshim lekashet atzman, right? Um, but she didn't, okay? And uh, you know the matters puts in a different way, but that's a, that's an interesting spin on that. So that would imply that Sarah uh, wasn't into makeup, which is funny because she was a rich person and all the rest of it. Now the Abarbanel. Is also into this. I'm sure other Mephoshim are also, 
Because that's the type of thing that Chazal sometimes get into. What do you mean beautiful? What do you mean handsome? What do you mean this? What's the definition of these these terms and things of that nature? It's a it, it's kind of interesting, at least to me. It's kind of interesting. And I'm pulling out my rusty trusty of Arbanel, and he says like this. Um Um so in other words, uh, everybody has three stages in life. Uh, so to put it in simple English, uh, the Barbanel reads the Pusik and he says like this. Uh, she, she, um, her age is divided into three parts because she was physically useful until 100. Then she had a baby. Then she spent the next 20 years from 100 to 120, older but active, as he puts it, in the Sharas older but active, and then spent seven years in extreme old age in Yeshishius. Why? Because Ibn Sinna, the famous Arab philosopher, tells us that life is always in three stages, right? It's youth, it's a middle age, as we call it here, older but active, and then extreme old age. Uh, but in her case, all three were good, meaning she had a positive life at all three stages. That's how he wants to put it. The tripartite division, which obviously the Barbanel's following Ibn Sinna, obviously for those of you who uh, dabbled in... Um, in medieval philosophy, Avicenna. Uh, life is always three stages. I don't know if that's true, but it's an entry. Let me put it this way. But it's suggested because of the tripartite division. That's how the Barbino is approaching it. is ABC. Why is the Torah put in three different divisions? Of course, the Barbino knows Rashi's shot, you know, with the Bas Kuf, Kabas Chof, and all that. But he wants to give his own and to suggest it's like a certain philosophical summing up. If you want to know who Sarah was, she had early years, middle years, and late years. But her early years went to 100. And therefore, it's mashma to me that he has the same idea like we saw in the Chizkuni, which is her life drastically changed when she had a baby. Uh, obviously. I mean, that, that, you know, that makes sense. The, the uh, And, let's put it this way, that means when she had a baby, her health beforehand, I don't want to say broke down, because that's not the right word to use. But, uh, she didn't have the she didn't have the physical youth, um, even though it says that she had a, a physical change in her. It goes without saying, but you know, raising a kid takes something out of you. That's that's what it speaks to me. You know, at the end of the day, even though she had maids and and nurse maids and all this other kind of stuff, now she had a baby. You know, now she had a baby. All the rest of it. She didn't sleep through the night. <laughs> you get it? Until she was. Until she was an old lady, she slept through. She slept through the night. You know, she didn't, she had nothing to wake up in the middle of the night. Soon she has a kid, as an under a belt. You understand? And it went went for twenty years, because you know maybe when Yitzhak was a teenager, who knows? He said, "Mama, I need this, that, and the other." Till finally, till finally, the last seven years. Again, it's a very uh, interesting and suggestive kind of uh, business. And if Sarah was ninety when she had the babies, that means. That for the first 10 years, you know, her, her uh, youthful vigor held out. And then when the kid turned around 10, uh, then she then she moved to the next stage of life, which was what you and I call middle age. That ain't bad if you hit middle age at 100, but it didn't last too long. 
because by 120, she already had old old age. It's a very interesting way of of thinking about, uh, you know, uh, 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 of human life and of Chayisar and all the rest of it. To my mind, these are just very interesting imaginative approaches to the uh, text, to the story. Uh, then you also have, one minute, the business where it says, it says Avram came live to cry over right? To uh, you know to to make a husband and all the rest of it. What do you mean he got up? What do you mean he got up? So there is a menish that implies this, and I know I've said it in the past because I remember this menish very well because uh, it says the midas Adin was looking at him. Avram, you know, was blaming himself if he hadn't left her alone and gone off with his for Akeda. Maybe she wouldn't have died. I mean, that's an understand. I mean, I get that reaction. You know, it's not a misunderstandable reaction. But the Barbanel is very, uh, what's the right word, um, uh, graphic over here, where he says that Avram lost it. He mamish lost it. It says, Oz kam Avram yalpane meso, shu muto alpane hatsadekis, he almost lost it. It like happened sometimes. You know, he threw himself on the corpse. His eyes were in her eyes. And his mouth was in her mouth. She was, I don't know, hugging or kissing her or, or, or something like that. But I mean, let's put it this way. That's a scene. Avraham threw himself physically on the corpse and... Bochav was screaming and crying, so he mamish lost it. In other words, it, it affected him powerfully. That losing a life partner like this, and remember, they've been married since they were kids, uh, was like losing a piece of the body. Like cutting off a bone from the body, that's how much it hurt. Uh, wow. That, that, let's put it this way. That's an indication that if the barber knows right, then uh, they had an unusually tight marriage, okay? Uh, and, as I point out many times, remember, Avram and Sarah were childless for decades, and he never took a concubine or anything like that. Only at the end, where, where, where Sarah tells him, go with Hagar and so forth, till then he never did it, which is interesting. So here's a couple that was in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and so on and so forth. And theoretically, whatever the case, you know, he might have had children for someone else, you know what I'm saying? And he wouldn't do it. That you know, so even though we think of Abraham as a polygamist, the truth of the matter is for the rove the rove, he was a monogamist. And you can see why, because when she died, that was the end of his world. Piv al Piho Ainov Al So again, that's something that's just very, very, very striking. Uh, so that's what the Barbadell says. And then we move to something else, and that is the story of, of Ephron. Now, you could call this Parshish Donald Trump. Because it's all about, I mean, Parshat Chayisar. Because the two main themes, as far as I'm concerned, in Parshat Chayisar is what they call the art of the deal, <laughs> right? I didn't read the book, but I know the title. The art of the deal, meaning cutting a deal. And one of them is real estate deals, and the other one is Shaduchim deals. Both of which involve all kind of shtick, money, uh, intrigue, uh, trickery, use of language, and so on and so forth. And you mama see it in both cases. And you see, by the way, that, you know, okay, the hero wins, but the hero wins because of Siata Deshmaya. You understand? If not the Siata Deshmaya, the hero would not win. Like the Ramam says all the time, the Ramam does not believe 
in Hashkocha Pratis for everybody, but he certainly believes in Hashkocha Pratis for leading figures like the Ovos. That's why he says the Bible goes and tells you all about their their lives, because they were among the people, the elite, that get, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, the, you know, the special providence, Hashkocha Pratis. Uh, and, but the you have to understand, I always say this, when you read a biblical story, if this guy made it through or this lady made it through, okay, they had it siyat That doesn't mean you would. Just because somebody jumped off a cliff and that siyat didn't get killed doesn't mean you should. You understand? Doesn't mean you should. Now, um, in this case, we have, first of all, the, the real estate deal, the first real estate deal. And you can read the parsha in many ways. And I know I've done them in previous years, I'm sure, because they used to be heavily influenced by the Medeshrab, which I used to every year with the boys. And, uh, Menashab is an interesting way of, of approaching it. Uh, I remember they call him Ephron at the end because he had no class. I know I said that. Usually it's Ephron with a Vav, but at the end, when he takes the money, so he, he, he misses the Vav because he should have been a classy guy and give it to Abraham for a present. Then he could go around saying like this, I gave it to Abraham with no charge. When he hit him with serious money, so he did it. However, it's also true, and here's a forerunner of the Jewish real estate dealers, uh, and that is, uh, you have a, you, you could read this as a kind of a Shakespearean comedy. Now, I'll tell you what I mean. You can this is one Mahalach. There are more than one Mahalach how to read the story. Sometimes people write to me and they tell me they're introducing all the rest of it, which is great. But that's their Mahalach. There's more than one Mahalach to read the story. I'm talking about in, in, in Rishonim and so forth, and the Akronim. So, uh, one way to read it is as follows. Um, Avraham knew that in the vicinity where his wife died is the grave of Adam and Eve. But the guy who owns that piece of land doesn't know that. So Avraham said, you know, it's like me knowing I want to buy your house because I know the city's going to build a road through there and, and pay a huge amount of money. But you don't know that. And so it becomes comical because you think you're ripping me off and I'm playing dumb. But in the end... Ha, 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 he who laughs last. And so Ephraim figures he's got a piece of junk over here. Uh, I think he even uses that language. you know. And Ephraim is certainly not a person who says, I don't want to sell Loashchis as Nachlasi, you know. I don't want to sell my ancestral land, all the rest of it. He is willing to sell. Uh, and so he charges Abram, it would seem, top dollar. You stupid idiot. You charge him top dollar, it's worth a lot more than you charge him. <laughs> you get it? And if he found out later on, then he must have kicked himself, you know. Uh, but that's how you do real estate. That's how the real estate market works. That, you know, you, 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 you buy over here, you sell over there, and hopefully the buyer hopes that he's buying it, you know, uh, getting a good deal, as it were. <laughs> the seller does too. So in this case, you're dealing with Amavino, and... The Barbinal says what I just said, which is Ephraim didn't know what he had on his property. He thought it was just a cave. He didn't know it was the grave of Adam and Eve, which would be quite a sight, right? I mean, you could call that Hotel Adam. It reminds me of a story, I'm sure I've said it before, where George Washington was the president in the 1790s. So the federal capital, the beginning was New York and then was Philly. And because obviously Washington didn't live in Washington. That city was built after he died. 
So uh, it was in Philly, and there was a plague, I think in 1794, I believe. And that time, the only thing that knew from plague is to move out of town. And so Washington moved the executive mansion. He had to move out of town to Germantown, which I believe was outskirt, was like out, out there in nowhere. I'm not a bucking Philly at all, but that's why I'm going by memory. And when he wanted to move there, the story is, the guy, only guy at a house that was the right size, Tsugapast, was the Jewish guy, Franks, whose son, I think, had been on Washington staff in the Revolutionary War, one of those old, you know, Amer uh, uh, early colonial Jewish families. And he gave the house to George Washington. He said, you know, stay here during the Magefa. And after he's moved back, and that place became the White House, so if I can use that term, for a year or so in Washington's administration, until the plague went away and he moved back. And the story is that Washington wanted to pay him. And he said, no, I, I, I don't want to take any money. And he said, I insist. He said, I'll take six bucks. So he paid him six bucks. And they asked him in the show. They said, were you crazy? Six bucks? Give a house away for Washington for a whole year? And he said, we'll see who's crazy. When he moves out, I'm going to turn his place in the hotel or bed and breakfast and put a big sign on top of the building. George Washington slept here. I'll make my money back in no time. So same thing over here, you know, he's selling the land where Adam and Eve were, if he would have known about it, he would have put up a big sign, Hotel Adam and Eve, you know, to, if you want to visit, uh, you know, pay $10 at the door. And people would have done because of it, because the ancestor of mankind, but he didn't know. Okay. Now this is, in that case, the whole deal was mamish, the art of the deal. If you read it the way the Abarbanel does, because Avram was a shrewd businessman and he wanted to buy the, the, the property. And it says over here uh, that, you know, first he tells the people, uh, I'd like to buy a, a burial plot. And they say, uh, you know, whoever you want will not refuse you. It was a public meeting, and they said, whoever you want will not refuse you. Okay? And then he says, oh, in that case, do me a favor. Piggly back from Mentokar. I would like you guys to be the real estate agent. Mamish like today. Because Avram doesn't go himself as the buyer. Look, Avram could have been like one of these Hasidic guys in Muncie, show up at Ephraim's house with the cash. <laughs> right? In fact, if I know Avram, he would have come with more than Arba Meyer Shagokazim just to close the deal. You see? But he didn't do that. Instead, he said, get me a real estate agent. Intercede for me. Right? And sell me the, the field. And I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. So, Darbamel uh, says like this. Uh, first of all, he didn't want to... It's interesting, he says, he didn't want to bury sorrow among all the Canaanites who were wicked. But here comes the key point in my mind. And the Abarbanel was a famous businessman. Uh, you know, he was a, he was the, uh, the the treasury guy, the IRS guy in Spain. Not for nothing. And so the Abarbanel says, In Suffolk, Shimhayo de Ephron, Soda Marvinic Borbo. If Ephron would have known, Sod Hamaora, the secret knows who's buried, Adam and Eve was buried there. He would not let go to property because the property is only going to keep going up in value. So this was Avram, who is really something. 
He just lost it. This is the Barbano. He lost it. He threw his head on his on her head, and his uh, he kissed the corpse. His his mouth on her mouth. This is what the Barbano just said. However, he Vayakam Avram. Then he gets up from the maze, and all of a sudden he switches, and he you know starts thinking like a businessman, uh, because that's who he is, and he immediately conjectures and he said, "Hmm, I need a place for Sarah." Uh, here may possibly be an opportunity to acquire the grave of Adam and Eve. How come he never went there before? You see where I'm going? Now that it was Nogea, he started thinking like a businessman. And as he got up from the corpse, he instantly realized that if he will go there without a real estate agent and talk directly to the to the seller, Ephraim would have said like this, how come this guy Dafka wants this cave? I should say Sadeo. It's too much of a giveaway, you get it? I come and I say, I would like to buy the 14 feet on the left side of your field, 13 feet in, and 15 feet on the side. Why why Dafka that? And Ephron, as a good businessman, would have said, I'm not selling that, there must be something there. That's why Avram, as soon as he got up from the corpse, Shifted immediately to business side. His came, he got smart. And he asked the Bnei Ches, Meaning, when the people said, you know, at the beginning he said, Then they said like this, Nobody will turn you down. And that was said at a public meeting. That put Ephron on the spot. Because he just said, nobody will turn you down. He said, please, I would like you, the whole crowd, to go to Ephraim and tell them to sell me that field. And so he'll be ashamed to say no, because the whole community said that they'll sell wherever I ask. And so I'm making an ask. And Avram, therefore, is utilizing the sentiment uh, of that meeting to to close an advantageous business deal. As we know, Hitaka did it. Ephraim uh, sells him the land, and as the Cheskuni says, uh, Ephraim is without a vav when he takes the money, and that means because Ephraim without a vav gives you 400. Right? Those iron and pay would be 150, right? And race would be uh, 350, and then Anun gives you 400. So in other words, they call him Ephraim. Uh, not, not only because he was low class, but because that's how much money he walked away with. And uh, Ephraim sounds like Offar. And so, let's put it this way. Ephraim figured he got a good deal. But you want to know something? Uh, probably people were, were uh, you know, whispering about him. He said, what a fool. What a fool. Uh, and maybe that's what Chazal meant when they said if he would have been classy, he would have um, given it to him. Because, oh, do you give it or you don't? If you don't, I get that. And if you give it as a classy Matan and Avram, I get that too. It's a, it's the grave of Adam and Eve, but I gave it to Abraham. Uh, that makes me a very hush of guy throughout history. But to charge him money and and think you're ripping him off, and then really you get ripped off, you look like an idiot down the down the ages. That's what our Barbanel reads it. Because you thought that you're cheating him, and guess what? It was the other way around. So I thought it's a very interesting business. Uh, reminds me of Donald Trump. And, um, you know, with the real estate and everything like this. Another thing that, another zinger that hits over here is when 
you get to the next deal. And that is, of course, the Shidduch with the, with the Rivka, which involves money, involves intrigue, involves murder, involves everything, right? It's like Agatha Christie, you know, uh, murder in Aram Narayim. And uh, I'm talking about Besuel. So you have the strange story where Avram says, Sim no yochatach as we all know. He says to Eliezer, Sim no yochatach under my yorach, uh, which Chazal say means, he said, put your hands on my bris milah, which is weird. Now Chazal say, listen, get over it. It was the first mitzvah, and I think he said they were moist nefesh, and therefore it meant a lot to them. So it's not like you and I today. I mean, let's put it this way. If somebody came to me and said, do that, I'd run. But Avraham Avinu and Eliezer is different. Okay, I get that. I mean, you know, it's a little unusual, but I can get that. But it's interesting, in the Middle Ages, the Pashtonim felt very uncomfortable with this. Uh, the Pashtun felt very uncomfortable with this. And especially um, uh, the Barbanel and the Bechor Shore and people like that are saying, no, it doesn't mean it really. He, he didn't actually do that. Is expression, okay? And the Bechor Shor is very, very interesting uh, because he's like the Chizkuni. They're all from the same from the same time. One second. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, in the Bechor Shor, you know, he's a, I like the Bechor Shor very much. Uh, the truth is I never knew he was. Uh, he's one of Balitosis, by the way. He's one of the super uh, Pashtanim, Pashtapshat type people. And it ha- his uh, commentary has all kind of... Um, of uh, uh, different angles to it. Uh, when I was young, I never heard of him, but when, uh, I remember when I was in my 20s or something, David Sykes showed me one of the Chama Leibowitz's books, and she, and he had a very good shot over there. Anyway, make a long story short, if you take a look at the uh, this week's Parsha season, what do you mean, Sim no Yocha Tachis Recha? Where are you putting your hand? So he also did, B'chor Shor says, Velosha Yosem Yodav Sham Mamish. It doesn't mean, you know, that he did that. Uh, although he says the Agarito says that, but he, but you know, but it just means that he he swore um, by uh, their faith or something like that. And then he says like this. Now the Bechor Shor lived in the. He was a Talmud. For those of you who don't know, the Bechor Shor is a Talmud of Rabbeinu Tam. He's one of the Balitosis, and he's mentioned Sefer Yashar. He was a Gemara guy. Um, the the Chizkuni. I'm not sure if we know that. But the Bechor uh, Shore, certainly, he's in Tosis sometimes. And um, what do you call it? He was also one of the big people who debate the Christians, you know. And because uh, he was in, in such an era. The Rajmam and the Bechor Shore, the Jews lived in France. And he was actually there at the end of the good period. Not that there weren't problems at that time. In his old age, that's when Philip Augustus became king of France and things really went south. But he was mainly operating and writing his stuff 1170, 1180, something like that, just at the end of the good period of the Jews in France. And uh, at that time, the the Catholic priests were very zealous, of course, understandably. And uh, they had the Jews engaged in a lot of debates. And... Um, and some of the stuff they said at that time was stupid. And you find, uh, because sometimes the Christian things make sense, but, but often not. And here's one of them, which is why would he, why, and, and they re, have very, very heavily tendentious Christological readings in the text of the Bible. And here's an example over there. And here's Bechor Shor, including in his uh, Bible commentary, uh, which I have in front of me, from the Musra of Cook. 
an example of that. What do you mean, Sibna Yachatachas Yerechi? Haminim Omrim. So I'll read you the whole passage. Okay? That's the Medushava. The Christians say that why would, and they read it literally, not as like Chazal, I should say. They said, put your hand, Mamash, there on the Aver. So, I'm sorry, the Christians say, from there emerged Yeshu. Jesus, Tarfusim, they're, um, they're, you know, uh, uh, disgraceful person, something like that. Tarfus, Mokama Tarif, you know. Now, um, what does that mean? In other words, Eliezer knows that eventually Yashka is supposed to come from Ambavina, he's going to be Jewish. And that's why he's swearing by that. That was a Christian oath. That's a typical medieval. Christological, you know, attempt to force interpretation on the scripture. But I answered him back, wait a minute. You guys say that, uh, you know, there was no father. It's a, you know, immaculate conception of virgin birth. Hello, what do you mean it's the Aver of Avram Avinu? Um, that's not how, according to you, that's not how Yashko is born. It's a virgin Mary. Ledevreim, According to you, he should have sworn on the Rechem, right? On the womb of a Jewish lady, because that's who Yashka came from. You see? So, I mean, that's the level of debate that you used to have in the Middle Ages. It's a little, a little weird. But it's, I'm just showing you that's a famous um, uh, piece of the uh, fights that they used to have back and forth over the meaning of verses. I can guarantee you, Somebody Christian said, since it's three, once the Father, once the Son, the Holy Ghost. That's that's how they operate in, in medieval Christological readings. And the Jews say, no. Me'ashon means this, Esmashon means that, and Shavashon means that. This is for all from the old school. Now, I'll share with you one more piece. I'm going, I know I'm going way over the line. I'm having some fun with this um, because this morning in Shoal, um, one of the people down my Shoal, Morty Tenenbaum, a good guy, so he came and told me a vort that he came up with on the story of Eliezer and uh, and Lovan and Basil and all that, and had to do with the fact that when Avram said, I mean, when Eliezer tells over the story, as we all know, uh, and remember, Eliezer also is the art of the deal. You know, he sets up a, a criterion to know who the right girl is, but on the other hand, he's got the the cash over there. Uh, he knows what's going to work with Lava. Uh, and then he comes, as we all know the story, and he says over, Evan, Avram, Anochi, and so on and so forth. But Yomer, Eloi, and my master, Avram, told me, Hashem, that uh, my master told me that God will send an angel to, uh, you know, Vitzliach Darkecha. Now, um, where is the angel? I mean, did Avram say that? Um, yeah, maybe he did. I don't remember. Hashem uh, Hisalach uh, One second. Yeah, that's right. Avram did say that. So, I guess, I'm not doing justice to Morty Tenenbaum, but he said something along the lines, that since he saw it was a malach, so therefore he knew it's going to be uh, uh, 
special atzlocha. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. But he had a very nice Hasidic type interpretation. I'm much more cynical. That's my nature. And I saw this as a great word. I'll tell you why. This is Eliezer talking to Lovren Basul. And he says, you know, my master has a son, and I was sent to bring a girl to him, and, you know, um, to go to, the, to, to my birthplace, to Aram Narayim, and all that stuff. And he sent a malach for me. I have a guardian angel. That's what that means. I have a guardian angel. And Hitzliach Der Kecha. And that guardian angel is going to cause Hatzlocha on your derech. And therefore, I'm here. In other words, I'm going to, I'm, I'm sorry. So therefore, I want to hit the road. I want to hit the road. Now, um, it says, that love and soul said, listen, we can't object, and therefore take her. But you know, and I know, the famous Chazal, which appears in several forms, that Besuel tried to poison uh, Eliezer. But what happened? You know the story. What happened? Obviously, Eliezer survives. And after a while, you don't hear Basul anymore. You hear Lovan. Well, to tell you the truth, it's that the brother in Sarashi said, what happened to Basul? So he died. So wait a minute. This is great. When did they try to poison him? Well, at the meal. What meal? Basically, Eliezer was a Zerizis type guy, which, by the way, you see is why Avram put him in charge of his household. He is very much a CEO, an executive type, who knows how to make decisions. Uh, he doesn't have, what do they call that? A fail, uh, executive functioning problems. Eliezer is Mr. Executive Functioning. He gets 10 camels. He says, Hashem, here's the deal. You know, I'm making a, a test at the well. We got her. Let's go. Let's hit the road. Give out the presents. And, and, and I'm out of here. So he only came to the house for that meal and to have that conversation and to close the deal, which he did. They say they tried to poison him. When did they try to poison him? At that meal. That's the only time. That's the only time they were together. What happened? They say, Amalek switched the, the, the food, right? Isn't that right? So in other words, you tried to poison him, but you end up eating yourself, Basil, and you died. Hold on. So here's Eliezer. Now, I don't know if he's saying it because he knows, or maybe just a man of faith. But basically, it says they come to the house. Read, read the words. Uh, they put food in front of them, which Rashi says, or somebody says, is the word psalm to poison. And he said, first I want to make a speech. So this is like a comedy almost. They got, they're ready to poison him and steal all of his money. But, and remember, he had a blank check, too. And, you know, a signed blank check. Now, wait a second. Uh, he said, before I eat, I want to give a little speech. They said, okay, fine. Well, I come from Abraham, and he has a lot of slaves, and he wanted me to marry his son off, and this and that and the other. And he sent a mouth to guard me. Okay? While he's talking, uh, what is happening? They're waiting new. When are you going to eat? Shut up already and eat the food and die. The Malch has already switched the food. 
You get it? The mouth is already switched to food. And basically, the food he eats doesn't kill him, and Basol ends up eating it. Why? Because who I got a guardian angel on my side. So basically, Yezer, I imagine, can see who he's dealing with. You talk two minutes of love and you know who you're dealing with. And uh, one minute is enough. And he can figure out the dangers of poison and all the rest of it. Because I'll tell you the truth. If I was in the Middle East, I wouldn't trust nobody. And uh, But he knows he's got a malach. So maybe he's giving like a little warning. I come from Avram. He sent the malach over here. If you guys are up to any mischief, uh, guess what? You're the one going to take it on the chin, not me. And Taka, that happens. So I see the the uh, statement about having a, a malach with is sort of like a warning or a foretelling. If you try to poison me, the malach will switch it on you. But kachavo. Uh, no, I don't know. Like I say, that's my way of talking. That's my way of thinking. Eliezer was just a, a cynical, shrewd guy. Uh, but maybe he was Hasidic and he was more uh, la-di-da. You know, I have a malach on my side and we have ruchnius and, and so on and so forth. Anyway, I've gone way over time, probably double what I should. But uh, I want to thank Lionel Copeland once again for sponsoring uh, in honor of his dad, uh, Yard Site. And with that, I wish you all good. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.